Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, God, we just we thank you, God, for your amazing grace, Lord. Your love, Lord, is is deeper than the ocean. Your your mercy is so great, Lord God. You've removed our sin as far as the east is from the west, Lord God. We cannot imagine. We cannot understand. We cannot get our heads around the, the, the full measure of your grace, Lord God. We are so thankful, God, for all that you've done for us. Our Lord, we, we just declare this morning that you are our King, that you are our gracious, loving, merciful God. And Lord, you're the King of our heart. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to, to hand over the reins again to you. Lord, you would just let us be so aware of your presence, Lord so aware of your, your Spirit's leading throughout our days. And God, we just pray that you would shape us and mold us for your glory, God. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. I'm not sure if it's uh, just me in here this morning. It's feeling a little bit cold or... Uh, do we, we... Might be just me. Anyway, there we go. Good morning. It's good to be in church. It's good to see you. It's... So good to come together and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. You know, he said on the cross, it is finished. And that's the reality, that's the truth. And uh, it's so good to come together and celebrate. I thought I'd start off this morning by, by answering the question I thought most of you would be, be asking. is like, what's that thing on his head? <laughs> um, you know, in, uh, in Matthew 5, I think it is, Jesus says, it's like, if your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. And he says, if your eye causes you to, to go into, into, into sin and destruction, gouge it out. And, you know, I would say if you have something in your body that's growing that shouldn't be there, get it cut out. Um, it's not good to leave it there. Um, so I've, I've had a thing a little removed this week that's just explaining. We've gouged that out and uh, it's gone. Thank you, Jesus. Um, uh, the doctor said it's all good. That's great. Um, thank, thank you, Lord. That's good. I thought I'd explain that right now, rather than answering a hundred questions after the service. But it's actually also a really good link into our message this morning. Because this morning we're talking about some gouging out, some cutting off uh, that happened that we're going to talk about as we begin a new series, looking at the Reformation. You know, it's 500 years since the Reformation of the church. It began in 1517 when uh, Martin Luther... Um, nailed his 95 theses, which are basically his 95 beliefs and thoughts and points he wanted to discuss. He nailed those things to the Wittenberg church door and said, I don't believe these things are right and we've got to talk about this because it ain't right. And, you know, the Reformation has caused some of the biggest social changes and political changes and religious changes in our world. One of the, one of the pivotal points in, in history uh, in so many of those ways, in so many areas. And we could talk about the, the political or the social implications that the Reformation had, but mostly we're going to look at the theological changes that the Reformation brought. So the, the changes that the Reformation started that we as the church enjoy today, the, the, the beliefs about God, about who He is, about who we are in Christ, that all changed at the point of the Reformation. And if you're going, Andrew, I still have no clue what you're talking about, that's okay. We're going to explain some of these things some more. 
Maybe you know a lot about the Reformation, and uh, I don't claim to be any historian, but I hope that what we go, go through this morning, especially, but over the next five weeks or so, helps you to see why the faith we have is the way it is, and it helps you to see the importance of continually being transformed into the image of Christ. As I said, just to begin with, if, if, if we've got things growing that shouldn't be there, they need to be chopped off. And in the church, we may, or in our lives, we may have things happening that aren't biblical. We may have thoughts that aren't grounded in God's Word. And one of the, the core beliefs of the Reformation, one of the things that happened out of the Reformation that we're going to talk about, is how it talked about it's Scripture alone. Uh, that it's only Scripture that can determine what is biblical. Not, just, not tradition, not what's just been good thought over many years, but it's by Scripture that we declare what is true and we want to align ourselves with Scripture, chopping off the things that go off in other directions and staying true to God's Word. Uh, and we're going to talk about why the Reformation is still ma- important today, why it matters today, why it's important. Um, I, was, uh, I can't remember who it was that shared it. At the, at the leadership development time, someone might wave their hand and say, oh, that was me. At the leadership development time on Wednesday last week at Macca's, someone was sharing with us about how their mum always, when they cooked a roast, they always chopped the, chopped the, the knuckle off. Is that, is that right? I don't even know what a, the, uh, the, the knuckle on a roast, apparently there's a knuckle. I just eat them. I don't know much about them. And, um, and then they always chopped the knuckle off the roast and they didn't understand why. So I said, Mum, why do you always chuck the, chop the knuckle off the roast? And she goes, I don't know. That's just always what Mum did. So they said, well, let's go and ask Mum. They went and asked her Mum, why did you always chop the, the knuckle off the roast? It's like, that's what my Mum always did. I don't know. So they went, uh, there must have been three generations still alive, and they went to the, the next generation and said, why did you always chop the knuckle off the roast? And she said, well, the roasting dish was only this big. It would never fit in if we had the knuckle on. We had to chop it off, put it in the tray, and then we put it in the oven. And they're like, oh no! The last 60 years they've chopped the knuckle off and they've wasted a part of the roast for 60 years. Simply because of tradition, because of what they thought was always had to be done, simply because of the shape of someone's baking dish or whatever it was they were cooking it in, roasting tray, they, for, for 60 years, missed out on the blessing of that meat. Can you believe it? It's terrible. Horrible. A juicy, mm, maybe you've got a roast cooking in the oven right now and you're going, why did I chop it? Now God doesn't want us to miss out on the juicy, beautiful parts of life that, that tradition or wrong teaching might lead us astray from. Jesus came to bring us life, and life abundantly, life to the full. And God wants us to realign to his word, that we might be reformed, that we might be changed into the image of Christ. Um, does anyone play golf? Anyone play golf here? Very few. There's a few that have a hit occasionally. Okay, yeah, let's be honest. You might not get quite on par, but that's okay. Uh, we, we played mini golf yesterday. Anyone ever played mini golf? Okay, lots of played mini golf. And it was, it was great fun, but it was really interesting. At the end, it's like our kids came up to us and said, ha, we beat you by heaps. It's like you finished, and we finished like an hour ago. What have you guys been doing? Because they're like, they get to the hole, they go whack, and then run down, whack, 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 in the hole, next hole, run, run, run. It's like our boys are pretty competitive. And they, they thought it was a race. They thought, like, we've got to get to the end of this thing and we're going to be the first to finish. I said, just don't do hole 18 because your ball will disappear. Um, 
you know how that mini golf, the ball disappears and it's like, it's gone, where'd it go? And anyway, we, we, we finish and we're like, they're like, oh, we beat you by heaps. It's like, no, it's not a race. It's the least number of hits that wins. And they're kind of like, you're kidding me. <laughs> I can't believe it. They were so confused and they thought, oh. But you know, in life, we can charge off trying to win the race, but we're playing by completely the wrong rules. We need to be reformed in our thinking. We need to come back to God's Word and say, this is what His Word says. We want to run with endurance like we talked about last week, the race He has set before us. But we've got to know the race He's set out. We've got to know the rules of the race that He's marked out for us. Before we can really uh, understand the Reformation and the impact it had, we need to remember what was happening in the world at that time and, and what was going on in the church so we've just finished a series on the, uh, the book of Acts, being empowered for mission. And it's the formation of the church. The church, um, Jesus has died, he's risen, he's ascended to the Father, and he sends out the disciples. And uh, over the next hundreds of years, the, the church um, is persecuted and it, it spreads and the gospel goes out and the and Europe is changed by the gospel. It just goes out and into Asia and... It's changing the world. But from the beginning of Christianity, we see there's some, some splitting away at different times. And the Council of Ephesus and the Council of Chalcedon, I don't know, some of these names I'll get wrong, you can tell me later. 431, 451, there's these different councils of the church that um, have, they make decisions about different things. One of them is about the divinity of Christ versus the, the human nature of Christ and discussions about those things form different parts of the church and it sort of branches off into different veins of the church. And then there's later on the, the great schism, I didn't come up with a name, uh, the schism of the 11th century, which is basically the breaking away of the, the Roman Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church. There's a, a split. And to be honest, as I read it, I think it's more political than it was anything else. Um, the, the, the Greek Orthodox Church didn't want to be ruled by the, the, the Pope and the Roman Emperor and they're like we, we're going to set up our own Pope and we're going to have our own movement and there's different beliefs that split them off and then we come to the 16th century when the Reformation happens and you've got those other church veins still going but basically from that point on you have the Catholic Church as we know it, the Roman Catholic Church Catholicism and Greek Orthodox Church, the Coptic Church, those churches continue on uh, through that time. But basically from the Reformation we get the breaking off of these movements that, that basically are the church that we know it today, that we talk about the, the Protestant Church and that is where it began from that Reformation time. The Reformation was such a pivotal time in the history of the church and in our world and we need to understand what was happening at that time. Another thing to note is that back in 312 AD, the Roman Emperor became Christian. Well, some would say he thought he became Christian. The Roman Emperor Constantine became a Christian and declared that Christianity was the, the, the state religion. And part of what happened there is that he also thought some of their ideas of what they did before were pretty cool. So he sort of thought, well, let's kind of blend the two together a little bit. Let's, let's use some of these festivals, some of these practices, and make that part of our, our Christian worship. And, you know, there's some dangers in doing that. Um, and there was all kinds of things that came into the church's teaching at that time that were not of God. There was, there was things that were brought in, and, and things like purgatory, and the belief that there's a, a time, but, uh, there's a, 
a, a penalty to be paid off before you can get to heaven, even after death, and, and different teachings came in, and, and the, the rule of the Pope and the, the power of the church was really instituted at that time. And we could look at other things that were brought into the church at that time. It's, uh, I encourage you to do some reading on, on some of the things that were brought into the church that were not a part of Jesus' plan for his church at that time. And you know, even still today, we see the effect of that Roman emperor and the, the Romanization of the church affecting so much of the world's view of Christianity today. And sadly, even for us as, as Protestant Christians, we can be influenced by some of those Romanizations and things that were brought into the church. Um, but we're going to see that through the Reformation, that they, they, they tried to cut away some of those extra things that were added onto the church. And so let's come back to the true gospel. And just to look at some, some maps very briefly, um, the Roman Empire was a huge empire. It was a powerful empire, and that's in 117 AD, probably the high point of its reign. And by, um, by the time of the Reformation, the Roman Empire was in decline, but it was still a powerful kingdom and empire. Uh, by 700 AD, uh, you've got the Byzantine, I can't say that word, um, Empire, which is basically the Greek Orthodox splitting off of the church. You've got the Roman Empire. And then you've got the green of the, the Ottoman Arab Islamic Empire that's beginning to, to surge. And you know the saying that says, when good men do nothing, evil prospers? Through that time, which is called the Dark Ages, it was a the, the gospel had been so tainted that I think that the spread of the gospel largely stopped. And when good men do nothing, when the gospel is not preached, other ideas have risen up. And it was in, through that time, when the gospel was not being preached as it should have been, that the rise of Islam across that area just thrived through that period. Um, and it, by the time 1500 of the Reformation the Islamic Ottoman Empire is in its prime. It's, it's thriving. We've got Christopher Columbus has just gone and discovered the Americas. We've got the Renaissance period happening of Michelangelo and all these pretty paintings, um, which is referred to as the, the new, new birth. Uh, in 1800s, it became known as the Renaissance, the new birth time. And the, the printing press was invented in that time as well, which was a crucial part of the Reformation taking place. Because suddenly, instead of someone having to copy down ideas and pass it on to the next person, and then they copy it down, and they're printing off. And over that time, through the Reformation, there was millions of people heard the message about the gospel of Jesus Christ and about the Reformation because of the printing press. And God brought all these things together for the, the perfect storm, which was the Reformation that came to the church and to the world at that time. Uh, as I said, the Christian church in that area was basically Roman Catholic, the corruption was rife. People were buying positions within the church just to get power in their nations. They, they, they would pay for, for roles within the church so they could buy uh, influence on people and in, in areas of society. It was horrible. It was terrible. And one of the things that the church was doing, they were encouraging the paying of indulgences. And basically, the indulgence was uh, you might be aware of your sinfulness and the church at the time, 
said, if you pay, it was like a, a year's wage, we'll, we'll reduce your time in purgatory. We'll, we'll sort of do that for you. And I was like, what? And Luther and, and, and others through this time spoke up against these things, that indulgences and purgatory and these things, it's like, it's not biblical. And they spoke out against these things. There were some good things happening. Praise God! Um, there's some good things still happening. The gospel was spreading in some parts. And you, you look back at the, the there's veins of the church that have always stayed true to his word. And uh, there were people still doing good and godly things and, and education and healthcare and, and different things were still happening. And you know, even today, the Catholic Church is the biggest provider of education and healthcare in the world other than state governments, apparently. There you go, there's an interesting little fact. But the church has been instrumental in, in caring for people for, for centuries and centuries, and many people don't realise that, they don't understand that. There were some good things happening, but Martin Luther came into that time and that space in around the 1500s, and he began studying law. He was a bit of a wild party boy. Uh, he... It was a little bit wild until one night he was in a storm. He was almost struck by lightning. And in that moment, he cried out to God. And actually, I think he might have actually prayed to a, a saint, which we know is not biblical. It's not right. Uh, but he, he cried out to God in that moment and said, God, if you, if you spare me from this storm, I'm going to give my life to you in, to serve you. And he survived. And he was faithful to what he said. And two weeks later, he became an Augustinian monk. He became a monk, and his parents weren't very happy because they'd sent him to law school, and he was in the finest of education. But he, he changed his life. He left the party scene, and he went and became a monk. Like, I don't know. Um, anyway, he became a monk. And then as a monk, he began to read God's Word because normal people don't read God's Word. You weren't allowed to read God's Word at that time. Another problem of the time but he began to read God's word and he, as he read God's word he read about the righteousness of God and he was so convicted of his guilt he was so convicted of his sin he, he was so aware of his unrighteousness that he did not measure up to God's standard and there's stories that they got sick of him in confessional they got absolutely tired of him being confessing and, and, and his guiltiness so they sent him away to some other place to get rid of him and he kept studying God's Word, and it, it says he actually hated God through that time. He said, how can the gospel be good news when it's about how, how good God is and how terrible I am? And he, he couldn't grasp what God's Word was saying until eventually God gave him revelation. He had a revelation of the righteousness through faith in Christ that God gives us. And he's reading God's Word in Romans, and he sees that, it's not about the righteousness of God that we have to try and attain to or, or, or reach. It's about the righteousness of God that we are given or imputed, if you want to get technical. It's given to us in exchange for our, our, our sinfulness. And his world was turned upside down. This man that was depressed and in sorrow and guilt, suddenly was filled with joy. It was filled with a, uh, like, what have we been doing moment. He says, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and there is no other way to the Father. And his world was turned upside down and he turned the world upside down. Um, 
and uh, he went and read some, some more things of Augustine of Hippo. What a great name. It's like Selwyn of Hippo. How would you like that name? Yeah. Augustine of Hippo, who wrote these writings about a thousand years earlier, and he discovered Augustine believed these same things. He's, you've got Luther, who's, who's, who's thinking, this is all about faith. It's not about indulgences. It's not about earning salvation. It's not about just the righteousness of God. It's, but he discovered Augustine had the same revelation, that we're saved by faith in Christ alone. It's, and we, are, we receive his righteousness. And suddenly he's like, Augustine believed it. I'm seeing it. We've got to do something about it. He saw the indulgences and people giving away their money when they had no money to spare, that their families were suffering because they're giving money to the church. And they know the Roman Catholic Church owned about a third of all living, whatever, everything at that time. Does that make any bad grammar and stuff? <laughs> they owned everything, nearly. And he got so angry, he, he, he wrote down his 95 thesis, was basically just the way that anyone would write down their beliefs and like a, a um, professor at a university might write up their thesis to discuss amongst the community. He wrote up his 95 thesis and nailed it to the door, which was just what you did. That was like the public notice board. And there began the Reformation at that time. I should look at my notes for a second. Um, what I want to do this morning is I want to stop there. We, we, there's so much more we could talk about, about the history of what happened and how it happened. But I want us to look at the book of Romans, which was pivotal in Luther's shifting in his thinking about his transformation in his theology and his understanding of God and how he become saved and a part of his kingdom. And in the book of Romans, if you've got your Bible there, open it up. I encourage you to circle some of these things, underline some of these things. We need to be reformed in our thinking. We need to be transformed by God's Word. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 to 26. Still some pages flicking. It's good. Some phones swiping because you're finding Romans 3, aren't you? For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's what, that's what Luther was torn up about. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did, did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just and make sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. You know, as Luther read that, and as we read that, we can see that it says, yet in his grace, in God's grace, in his grace, God in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. It's by God's grace alone. And one of the key teachings that came out of the Reformation is, is Think, uh, something called the five solas. It's basically five statements that say only this, only this, only this. And the first solo is sola gracia. And I'll give it a French accent on a Latin word. That makes no sense. Anyway, by grace alone. It's grace alone or sola, which is alone. 
alone grace. It was only grace that brings us to salvation. It's in His grace and by no other way do we get salvation. It's because God is good. It's because He is generous. It's because He's kind. It's because He's gracious that we can be saved. It's nothing to do with you. It's nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with Paul or Luther. It's by God's grace. You know, it's by God's grace that even after a thousand years of the church deviating from the gospel, it's by God's grace that he brought the truth of the gospel back. It's by God's grace that we've heard the message. It's by, God, by God's grace that he freely, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ. It says in verse 25, God presented Jesus. God did the presenting. Jesus himself came to die on the cross for our sin. It's it's what God has done that makes it possible for us to have salvation. Maybe we struggle with our stumblings, our failings, our feeling of not feeling like we measure up to God or feeling like we haven't done enough to earn God's forgiveness, but we can remember that it's by grace alone that we are saved and that God is for us, He is not against us and that any time that the enemy tries to make us feel guilty or not worthy, we can say, no, it's by grace alone that we are saved. God is for me. He loves me. He is gracious. He is kind. And anyone who comes to him will be forgiven and accepted into his family, into eternal life. It's by grace alone. And we keep reading it. It says, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. It wasn't anything else. It was Jesus that came and took the punishment for sin. Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. It's by Christ alone, through Christ alone, sola Christus. That was one of the other five key teachings of the Reformation, that it was through Christ alone. It's by God's grace, through Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father. We can have faith in all kinds of things, but it's faith in Christ, recognizing it's by the grace of God that Jesus took our penalty that we are set free. And it's through believing that Jesus did that, that he took our punishment that we are set free. It's, it's faith. Next one. There it is. Sola fide, by faith alone. It's by grace alone. It's through Christ alone, and it's by faith alone that we are saved. It's not by paying money. It's not by doing good works. It's not trying to outweigh the good and the bad. It's by faith in Christ alone that we are set free, that we have eternal life. Martin Luther read that, and he said, you know, that is good news. And that revelation of the fact that it is by faith alone, through Christ alone, because of God's grace alone, has changed the world. The the gospel has gone out again because it's good news. That we don't earn it, but God has given us everything that needs to be done. All we need to do is put our faith in Him. And there's two other solos that I'm going to leave for the moment. There's another passage in Ephesians 2 that was a part of that whole transformation of the time and the church and maybe today God wants to transform us as we read this Ephesians 2 verse 4 to 10 says but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead 
It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He, cre- he has created us and you in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Verse 4, it says, God is so rich in mercy and he loves us so much that even though we were dead, you know, we had nothing to offer God. The Bible talks about our, 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 our best deeds being like filthy rags before God. We had nothing to offer. Without Christ, we were dead in sin. But in that same verse, it says, He gave us life. It's by God's grace. He has exchanged our death for His life. He's given us an exchange that we can have because of Christ, because of His grace. He gave us life, and it's only by God's grace that we have been saved. If we were constantly aware of that day by day, if we we're aware that it's only by God's grace that I'm alive today. It's only by God's grace that I can pray as someone shared, that we can pray and God hears us. If every moment of every day we were totally aware of God's grace, it would totally transform our lives. When someone offends us, and we remember it's only because of God's grace that I've been forgiven. When someone hurts us, when when things get hard, when it seems like things are just too much, It's only by God's grace. God is for me. He's not against me. God loves me. God's given me life instead of death. God is for us. If we could grasp that truth alone, it would transform our lives and our world around us. And he goes on and talks about how he gave us life. He raised us. He seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. It's all by grace. And verse 8, he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. It's a gift from God. None of us can boast. None of us can boast about our goodness. Our, our response is, is insignificant. It's all about what Christ has done for us, about his gracious love and mercy for us. Now that is good news that is worth talking about. That is the good news of the Christian church that for so long was... was covered over with other things and we need to be the ones that be his hands and feet that communicate the true gospel to the world around us that God is a gracious loving God there is a a punishment for those who turn away from him and will not will not admit their sinfulness but God is a gracious loving God as we read last week in 1 Peter he wants all to come to repentance none to perish that's the good news of the gospel. I wonder this morning, how do our lives need reforming? In what ways do our lives need to be reformed, transformed, realigned with God's word again? Maybe that truth alone, it's by God's grace alone 
is what you need to think about this morning. Maybe you've been striving to try and uh, get God to bless you by doing good things, but it's we never earn God's blessing. It's by His grace that we receive anything from God. It's by grace alone. It's not about us. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we don't do. It's about Him. It's about His goodness. It's about His grace. Following Jesus is not about tradition. It's not just about doing what's always been done. It's about coming back to God's Word and saying, what, what does Jesus say about this? Let's realign ourselves with His Word, not just following tradition blindly and saying, well, that's what's always been done. It must be right. It's about coming back to His Word. And I encourage you to, to, to read through Romans. Read through what God's Word says about how we are saved by grace through faith. And you'll be... Uh, I've, so blessed by a text message of someone that's here today that was talking about reading through Romans and just how they were so stirred and encouraged about how amazing God's grace is. God's word is powerful and effective and if you read it, you will be changed. Maybe it's about loving God. That I was listening to something by John Piper through the week and he said that one of the dangers of the, the Reformation movement is that we can be so busy trying to be reformed and, and study theology that we become lo- we, we end up loving theology rather than God. That's a, that's a massive swing. But let's not love the, the study of God or let's not love singing about Him or doing something for God more than we actually love God. Let's, let's worship Jesus for who He is and not what He does for us. Not for the, the feeling it gives you but worship Him because He deserves our praise. Let's love God and let's love people. Let's be people that are reformed by His Word, day by day, week by week, moment by moment. We're going to continue to look at these things over the next few weeks. And my prayer is that God would soften our heart. I pray that you would pray, God, soften my heart, help me to see the things in my life that have become tradition, that have become just things that we do, and it's not true to your word. Help me to be realigned with your word. Can we stand now? I just want to pray. God, we thank you for your grace. God, we thank you for your love, for your mercy. God, we thank you for that reformation you brought to the church 500 years ago. God, we thank you for those who gave up their life They were burned at the stake for saying these things. They were tortured. They were beaten. But Lord, they were willing to to, to pass on this message of good news so that we could know how you make sinners right in your sight. God, I pray that you would stir us, that you would change our hearts, that you would reform our thinking, Lord, even as we talk about the Reformation. God, I just pray that you would help us to see your amazing love, that you would draw us after yourself, that we would follow you and not just tradition, that, God, we would live for your glory alone. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for every person here today. And, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that they've never understood that it's by your grace that we are saved, I thank you that even this morning that you can can surrender to God. You can thank him for his grace. You can thank him for what he's done.
Maybe you've been told that you've got to You've got to do all these things to earn God's forgiveness, but it's by grace alone that we are saved. I just wonder, if, is there anyone this morning that you want to make that decision to say, God, I, I want to accept your grace. It's a gift that we have to choose to receive. And you want to invite him into your life. You want to surrender and say, thank you, Jesus, that you are the one who took my sin. Is there anyone here this morning that you want to say, that's me. I, I, I want to do that. If you, if you want to... Raise your hand and say, I want to surrender and say thank you to Jesus for the first time this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, I just thank you that at the moment we hand our lives over to you, Lord, as we turn away for a living for ourselves, that you accept us into your family, that, Lord, our sin is washed away the moment we put our faith in you and not in ourselves. And God, I just thank you for helping us going on after you to continue on and to run this race with purpose in every step, not getting distracted to the left or the right, but to live for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing this song, I Have This Hope. Uh, What's the next line? As an anchor for my soul. We have this hope and it is an anchor for our soul. There is no other way to be saved than by God's grace. And let's, let's worship Him. Let's thank Him. Let's honour God for who He is and for what He has done because He is the one and only hope for all of creation. And God help us this week to, to tell someone about this hope we have in Him. Amen. <laughs>